Welcome everyone. I'm Dr. Neil Barnard. I want to welcome you to the podcast brought to you by the Physicians Committee for Responsible Medicine. You know, we have had lots of information on our website. We have books. We have our online kickstart program. But now we have a podcast that will go with you when you're commuting, when you're jogging, when you're walking your dog, when you're flossing. We're here for you. And today we have a really exciting uh, program for you. We are going to focus on the number one threat to health in America. Thanksgiving. That's right. You know this is true. People's weight stays pretty constant over the summer. June, July, August. We're not gaining weight. But then what happens? Fall arrives. The days are getting darker, colder, shorter. And we're like squirrels stuffing our cheeks in anticipation of winter. And we are gaining weight. And we're gaining weight all the way through until December 31st at midnight. And that's when everyone says, I'm sick of it. And we go on diets. And then we lose weight during the spring, stable during the summer. And in the fall, it all starts over again. If we could tackle that autumn weight gain, we'd have this licked. But you know what's the worst part of it? You got it. Thanksgiving. This is the time when we are supposedly giving thanks for the bounty of the earth. And what do we do? We celebrate it by stuffing ourselves and picking out and being unconscious in the afternoon. Not so good. In today's podcast, we're going to talk about how to make Thanksgiving into something that's really memorable and that we're really going to be happy with. Now, each podcast is hosted by Chuck Carroll. He is my hero. Chuck lost 265 pounds. He's kept that weight off for eight years, and he will share with you how he did this, what a vegan diet really means for him, and he's going to walk us uh, through every episode, including success stories, people who have had really amazing experiences reversing heart disease reversing diabetes, changing their lives, losing a lot of weight, and Chuck and our guests will share their secrets with you. Now, I got to tell you, Chuck's life is really an amazing one. Not only did he lose an amazing amount of weight, it's so inspiring, but it doesn't just change you physically. It also then allows you to really live your dreams. As Chuck then became a broadcaster with CBS, then NBC, and now he's here with you and me. Uh, in today's episode, Jim Loomis is going to be here. You know Jim. Dr. James Loomis, MD, uh, used to be with the St. Louis Cardinals, their team doctor, also with the St. Louis Rams before they moved to LA, also the St. Louis Symphony, and now he's the medical director of the Barnard Medical Center here. And what he's going to talk about is what happens if every day you're eating like it's a holiday. That's what a lot of people do. They pay a price for it. Also joining us is Susan Levin. Susan Levin, MSRD. She is a registered dietitian, but she also has a lot of expertise in sports nutrition. And what she is going to focus in on today is the health effects of one single unhealthy meal. That's right. Your arteries know it. When all of that mayonnaise and cheese is going through your system, she's going to tell you what actually happens. Um, I want to thank you for joining us. Uh, please do subscribe on iTunes. You're going to find information here that you'll find nowhere else. Thanks for joining us. Wow, to be called uh, a hero by Dr. Barnard, that is that is really, really saying something. Uh, I am the weight loss champion, Chuck Carroll. You are listening to The Exam Room, brought to you by the Physicians Committee. Want to take a second here briefly before we get into this segment and just tell you why this podcast means so much to me, and in particular, this segment. Um, it is because when you go through just an enormous transformation in your life for the better, uh, you get inspired, you want to share that, and you start to see the world differently, and you thrive off of positivity. So I lost 265 pounds. I've kept it off now for eight years running. And every day I realize that I meet incredible people who have done incredible things with their lives. And so here at the Physicians Committee, there is just a wealth of amazing success stories. And I just thought it would be so powerful to be able to share what I learned along the way with somebody else who has had a similar journey, but certainly their own unique path. 
And so with that, we are going to welcome our very first success story here to the exam room, and that is Betty Mizek. Betty, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for asking me. I, I mean, your story is really remarkable, what you've been able to accomplish. And I will say that when I was told about what you had been through and how much you have improved, I mean, my jaw just dropped. So uh, I understand that you, you had almost a near-death experience. Is that correct? Well, I had a heart attack yeah. in April of 2016, and, um, and it was a wake-up call. I'm a medical social worker. I take care of everyone else. And basically, it was time for me to take care of myself. And fortunately, I lived, and and I knew I had to change. Right. And so all the pieces fell into place. And I don't know how much you want to know of the story, but basically, I, I had um, a neighbor who was eating plant-based. Mm -hmm. And... I came home from the hospital, and you know, after one day, right? Uh, I did have a stent put in. Mm -hmm. I had uh, ninety percent blockage in my right artery. Well, let me actually uh, back that up a little bit. Walk me through the day that you had the heart attack. Okay. Start at the morning, and just how did that day progress? Well, I woke up and I felt really strange, and um, so I thought my blood sugar was low. And I checked, and it was like over 500. Mm -hmm. And so I thought my pump had become dislodged. And you're a type 1 diabetic. Type 1 diabetic. And then I had this enormous pain. You know, they say the uh, it's like an elephant sitting on your chest. Mm -hmm. And I said to my husband, I think I'm having a heart attack. He said, no, you're not. And uh, I said, no, I think I should call my doctor. So I called my cardiologist. I have his cell phone number because he sees my clients. And um, he said, call 911 and take three aspirin. And I called 911, and they said, take three more aspirin, and I did. And then the rest is kind of a fog. Uh, my husband can probably give more details. But basically, they, uh, they didn't – they were actually – it's really kind of bizarre because they were focusing on the diabetes and not the heart in hmm. my – there's a certain level, it's called a troponin level, and if you've had a heart event, it elevates, and mine didn't, and they were gonna send me home. Hmm. And this doctor came in and she said, something is not right, you know. Clearly. And they put me in the PICU, and, and then they found out that uh, it was a heart attack. Uh, and I had an angiogram the next morning, and I had an LAD 70% blocked and right artery 90%. You can tell that uh, you work in the medical field using all those fancy acronyms. Yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah, <laughs> LAD is, the, is called the Widowmaker. If that one goes, you're, you don't survive. And so, you know, it's, it's, almost, it's hard to tell the story again because I still have a lot of emotion about sure, it. Sure, sure. But I knew I got up that night. It was Sunday. And I went in the bathroom, and I just looked in the mirror, and I said, I've got to change. Right. And so I went home, and I read Dr. Esselstyn's book, Reversing Heart Disease. And uh, and it's funny, because I told Dr. Esselstyn that, and he and I said, I read it in one sitting. And he said, but it's only 90 pages. <laughs> and because I had heard about it from my neighbor. And then I called my neighbor, and I said, how did you do it? And... And then a miracle occurred. He brought me a brochure from PCRM, and he said, you need to call these people. Yeah. Because I had looked on the web for support, couldn't find it, and I start coming here. And and since April, this happened on, you know, in April 2016, and I never went back. I just went cold turkey. Uh, that's kind of the way to go. Uh, you know, there are uh, studies that will show that people who, whatever the change they make in life, whatever that change may be, if they go cold turkey, they have a higher rate of success. So, but you had this epiphany, you had this real, real yeah. serious wake up call. Right. And, and you just went all in on this. And it sounds to me, before we started rolling, we were talking a little bit about your family, and it sounds like you had a tremendous amount of support. Right. My husband, he also uh, 
decided to, to eat this way. Mm-hmm. And he has had remarkable improvement in his kidney function. And we sat up in Baltimore with the number one nephrologist who was saying, this just doesn't happen. People don't get better. <laughs> you know, and I just really can't explain it. Wow. You know, and but he's supportive. You know, he's supportive of the plant-based, but he's like on the board of the Kidney Foundation. And people just don't talk about diet. Right. And in September of 2015, my cholesterol was 257. Uh Last week, it was 152. Mm, look at you. Yeah, triglycerides were 154, and now they're 58. You know, that's just a small sample. But the biggest news is that my cardio, the cardio risk factor, the CRP, uh, was 4.17. And for you doctors out there, you know what this means. And my, actually, my cardiologist said, if you don't do something – you are not going. You're going to predecease your clients, right? Because I work with the elderly, and we need to help you. But nobody ever said anything about diet. So, four point one seven, and you should be at. Uh, that, that's high risk. That's and now I'm at one point four nine, and anything less than one is no risk. And continuing to fall, I assume. Yes. Look at you. Yeah. Look at you. Hemoglobin A1C has come down two point two points. Still working on that. It's hard, you know. But I think the main issue is that for the first time in 43 years of having type 1 diabetes, I felt like I had control over that my life could get better. Like yeah. Dr. Barnard asked me, why did you have a cardiologist? And I said, because if you're diabetic, you're going to die from heart disease. Yeah. You know, everybody has a cardiologist. And so for the first time, I realized I don't, I can actually do something about my health and it's very empowering. I feel good now. Yeah. I feel great. And, um, but, you know, the support of my husband was great. And then coming to the 12-week course, I'm telling you, that was the best thing I did. I came every week. I think I came to every session. I was so proud of myself. (laughs) You know, and I'm also a... All in. I want to say I'm a type A personality. Uh, But when I'm committed to something, I do it. Yeah. And... The results were, you know, I'd be getting blood tests and running down to my neighbor and sharing them. I mean, I just was so happy. Yeah. And, you know, my latest blood work, I had nothing abnormal. Look at you go. Look at you You go. And also the other thing that I didn't really start to do it, but I lost 25 pounds. I've gone from a size 14 to size 10. And it takes a real woman to talk about her dress size. I know. My I know, hat yes. is off to you right now. That is that is a closely guarded secret in most circles. Right. I even wore sixteen and something, believe it or not. Um, and now some of the I had and I had to buy a belt for the first time. Wow. I now have belts because my pants fall off if I don't wear a belt. And you know, so that's a nice byproduct. Yeah. But um, and I'm taking less insulin. So I guess I wish. I wanted to tell my story because I want people to know, especially women diabetics, you know, my heart attack did not present like the usual. Um, I had heartburn for a month before, and, hmm. and that, that was unusual. And, I, and I've later learned that's significant for uh, right artery blockage. So, so that there is an option, you know, the whole food is medicine and I was very motivated, and I felt better, and it is very hard. But when you stop eating fat, sugar, and salt, you stop craving fat, sugar, and salt. Sure. And um, I, don't, I don't eat desserts anymore. I was the diabetic, and you know who you are out there, where you would eat a dessert, and then you'd take more insulin. Mm-hmm. And, and, uh, and that was not very helpful. I want to ask you about your motivation for doing this. You have a wonderfully supportive husband, but you also have grandchildren that you wanted to be around to see them grow up. Yes, yes. I have a granddaughter who, uh, and a grandson, and I wanted to be around for her, both of them actually, and my family. And, you know, and now I feel like that's going to happen. Yeah, yeah. And I'm not, 
that was a big motivating factor. But also, uh, I didn't. How could I take care of everybody else and not care take care of myself? Right. You have to put yourself first. And and food is a big deal. And um, and I work. You know, I work with assisted living facilities. And I I had a conversation yesterday with two of my clients who were complaining about the food. Too much butter, too much, you know, overcooked vegetables. And and I realized that some of my clients, they move into assisted living and they gain weight. Wow. And so, you know, I guess that's my next cause. But uh, <laughs> I'm, you know, I'm really, I'm really stressing that if you are diabetic or not even diabetic and you have high numbers to definitely give this a try. You have nothing to lose but some weight, actually. It sounds like you have a a lot to be thankful for this Thanksgiving, that's for sure. Absolutely. Just a remarkable story, and and just congratulations for not only surviving, but thriving, and now using your story to affect change. People are going to hear this, and hopefully they will be inspired to take better care of themselves as well. That's what this podcast is all about. And that's what you are bringing to the table. Right. Thank you for letting me do that. Betty, thank Thank you so much. Thank you so much for inviting me. This is The Exam Room brought to you by the Physicians Committee. Just what an incredible success story Betty is surviving a heart attack, making the decision to go vegan. She's just an inspiration to us all. You're continuing to listen to The Exam Room, brought to you by the Physicians Committee. I am the weight loss champion, Chuck Carroll. Uh, Very excited. We're going to switch gears a little bit. This is Thanksgiving after all, and as Dr. Barnard said earlier, this is the most dangerous time of year for Americans. This is when we let our diets go. We start packing on the pounds until the new year when everybody goes back on a diet and the cycle continues. So let's see if we can clean things up and uh, make sure that things aren't so difficult for you come the new year. So helping us here on the exam room is Susan Levin, a registered dietitian here with the Physicians Committee. Welcome to the show. Hi, thanks for having me. Oh, it's a complete pleasure of mine. So I wanted to bring you on and I wanted to ask you a very important question, one that I've been wondering since I went plant-based, and that is what happens to your body when you eat a plant-based Thanksgiving dinner versus the traditional one with the sausage gravy, the turkey, the whole trimmings, exactly what you've been brought up with your entire life. What is the difference kind of metabolically speaking, Susan? Well, I bet you could probably guess a little bit. And I'm (laughs) going to start with what happens um, when you eat poorly any time of year. Uh, First of all, every meal actually makes a difference. When you eat a meal that is really high in fat, as any meal that has meat or dairy products is going to be, um, you are immediately taxing your body's whole vascular system. Your, your triglycerides start to go up, your cholesterol is starting to rise, um, your blood is getting thicker, and that's immediate, and it, and it builds on itself hour after hour after hour. It just gets worse and worse and worse. Um, and you can imagine what kind of diseases that's associated with because it's exactly the kind of diseases from which we all suffer in this country, heart sure. disease, diabetes, cancer. Um, secondly, when you eat really well, you eat very low in fat, you eat the, the plant foods that have just enough fat that you need to be healthy and are very high in fiber and very high in all the other wonderful nutrients, antioxidants, phytochemicals, all those multiple syllable words you've heard of and are good for you, then you're fighting off all those diseases. You're doing the exact opposite. And if I can, I would like to bring into the fa- the you know bring travel sure into this absolutely into this discussion about what happens because there are a few things that are associated with travel that can be um, negative can impact your body negative and that, that negatively and that's you know, your immune system hydration blood flow and mood and when you eat a high fat diet it is going to put more stress on your body. 
Um, it's going to make your, your, your blood thicker, all that fat in your body. It's not going to let your white blood cells do their job, which is to fight fight off those colds that you might get during this time of time of year. And we all know that stress and travel, or maybe it's stress and family. I don't know. I'm not judging. Well, I was, ju- I was just going to ask, like, could, could a healthier diet then prevent the Thanksgiving squabbles? <laughs> yes, yes, because the more fiber you have in your diet, the more you're flushing out toxins, which will help support your immunity, um, keeping hydrated, uh, so eating things like fruits and soups and, and, of course, just drinking water will also flush out a lot of those toxins and keep you um, healthy and help prevent you from, you know, your defenses from getting low and you catch a cold or or just don't feel so well. Um, Blood flow, if your blood isn't flowing properly, of course, that's going to put you at higher risk for things like blood clots, which believe it or not, if you travel by plane or if you're traveling in a car or train where you're just sitting for long periods of time, that is is a risk for people. Um, And then in cultures where they don't eat high fat foods and they eat lots of fiber, Blood clots, like um, from traveling, don't these these are things that don't even exist in those cultures. But certainly, mood, and we've seen studies that show people who eat plant-based diets have less depression, less stress, less anxiety. And doesn't that sound really nice during yes, the holidays? Indeed. Do we yes, really indeed. need more of that? So there's a lot of reasons to eat this way any time of year. But I really think it's important this time of year. Now, one of the things that is really associated with Thanksgiving is the food coma. You know about the food coma. We overeat and then we just kind of hibernate for the rest of the day. I'm curious, if you eat a vegan dinner, are you less likely to go into that food coma? I think it depends on what that vegan dinner looks like. Mm -hmm. I could certainly induce a vegan coma with a nice vegan cherry pie. (laughs) But if you are eating, again, if you're focusing on low fat, so you're not having uh, creamed corn, but you're eating the corn, or you're eating um, green beans that aren't smothered in oil, but more fresh and more steamed or, or, you know, baked or or sautéed without oil, you're going to fare a lot better. But you can still eat all your favorite foods you can have the cranberry sauce but you just need to make it um, so that it's not laden with fats and oils and you're gonna you're not only gonna feel better but at the end of the holiday you're not gonna be the statistic who gained uh, five pounds and could only get rid of the four pounds and then you gained that annual one pound that over the course of 10 years leads to um, you know a 10 pound weight gain yeah so don't be a statistic and feel better and be healthier and support your body even during the holidays. It is possible. You know, the uh, I was reading the average American consumes 4,500 calories on Thanksgiving Day alone. 4,500. That's two and a half days worth of food for, that is, again, the average American. That's a lot. Right. And I'm guessing the average American isn't going out there and running, uh, you know, the 20 miles it would take to burn off those calories because you cannot exercise off no. uh, a, a bad diet or no. Or that many calories for most of us. Yeah, you're lucky on Thanksgiving Day if you get like a little backyard football game going, right. something like that. Right. Uh, that's typically pre-dinner because once you get that food in you, like it's it's lights out. It's over. Um, true or false? You know, turkey has a lot of protein in it. There's no questioning that. But uh, you know, one of the common misconceptions about a plant-based diet is that you don't get enough protein, which is absolutely ridiculous, as you know. But yeah. I wanted to ask you this because I was also reading where uh, your body burns more calories uh, digesting protein than it does fats and carbohydrates. Is this accurate? Actually, I've I've never heard that. In fact, I'm more familiar with the research behind uh the ex the, the the higher metabolism from eating carbohydrates. Oh. So we've actually done research at the physicians committee to show that when you eat a carb heavy meal, so say you wake up and you have oatmeal for breakfast, um, you will burn a fraction uh, of more calories. So you, you've bumped up your metabolism a little bit for for longer throughout that day. Mm-hmm. Um, so. I've heard the opposite, uh, and and over the course of many many days, if, even if you're just bumping up your metabolism um, metabolism a fraction, you're burning more calories, even though you might be eating the same amount of calories, uh, if that makes sense. Yeah. 
I mean, that's what I, I love about this podcast is, you know, there are so many things that float around uh, in the um, internets, the interwebs, as the kid calls it. So we're, we're bringing a little bit of truth to the table. So I appreciate that. Yeah, no problem. Um, the last thing I kind of wanted to touch on also, it's kind of a simple question, but I think one that a lot of people are wondering, digestion time. Again, we already talked about the food coma. Um, if you forego the turkey, the sausage gravy, the deviled eggs, all of that stuff that you shouldn't be eating, uh, and you stick with the vegan dinner, are you going to digest that a little bit more quickly or uh, would the traditional dinner stay with you a little bit longer? Okay, so let me see if I understand because my the first thing that pops into my head is, is my favorite um, five-letter word, fiber. Right. Um, and now fiber, because that's only found in plants and hopefully the plants you're eating are closer to whole so they have more, more fiber in them, are going to actually digest slower. Mm-hmm. So you're going to feel fuller for longer as the food slowly breaks down and gets out into your bloodstream, giving you a nice even keel energy level. So it has lots of benefits other than just feeling even, feeling full on fewer calories you know with fiber comes all those healthful nutrients antioxidants phytochemicals um, so very supportive of health for for many reasons uh, so I would say that when you're eating that heavy plant-based meal you're actually going to digest things more slowly and feel very even keeled and fuller longer and uh, you know bonus not to get too graphic but fiber <laughs> is a carbohydrate yes but it doesn't digest so it's coming back out. Right on. Um, so even if you ate 500 calories worth of lots of plants, you know, a fraction of that's coming back out. And it's coming <laughs> back out either as it went in, which is called insoluble fiber, yep. or having scraped out your insides, by the way, not, not being lazy. And then there's the soluble fiber that I like to to compare to flypaper or gum and it just it attaches to all that cholesterol and excess hormones and excess toxins and pulls all that out with it so I get so excited talking about fiber, like like most Americans, right? Well, that, that kind of makes me also think that you'd be less inclined to go back for seconds because you're going to be full. Absolutely. And that's, again, good rule at Thanksgiving, good rule at the holidays, good rule all year long. Because when you're eating all these really heavy, fibrous foods and they're just kind of sitting there um, and you think, I must have eaten 2,000 calories for Thanksgiving. Sure. Much less 4,000. Uh <laughs> No, it's it's impossible because it's it's fewer calories in those foods, then some of those calories aren't going to digest. Um, and yeah, you feel you pre- feel pretty satisfied. Real quick, thirty seconds or less. What are you serving for Thanksgiving this year? Oh my gosh, um, I'm secretly considering ordering one of those vegan meals from from a popular uh, health food store. Uh-huh. But I do love making cranberry sauce because I love. I used to love cranberry sauce in a can, but yuck. And now <laughs> I make it with real cranberries. I use a little maple syrup and lemon juice, um, and then I get to eat all I want. All right. Well, it sounds tasty, delicious. Susan, thank you for the knowledge. We're going to have you back on a little bit later in the show. We're going to be talking about an exciting new campaign, so don't go anywhere. Uh, And you don't go anywhere either. Stick around. We've got Dr. Jim Loomis coming up. Uh, We just talked about what happens to your body on Thanksgiving Day, but he's going to explain what happens if you eat 4,500 calories every day, 365 days a year. You are continuing to listen to The Exam Room brought to you by the Physicians Committee. Real quick reminder before our next segment, be sure to follow us on Twitter at PCRM. And while you're doing the social media thing, hit us up, like us on Facebook. Lots of great content there as well, including what you're listening to right now. We're going to have that in video format. Sitting across from me is Dr. Jim Loomis. He is the director of the Barnard Medical Center here. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you. My pleasure. And uh, you know why I wanted to to have you on today it's because thanksgiving is coming it's right around the corner and for me growing up thanksgiving was all about gorging and it was all about football and you have a background in uh in football you were the internist for the st louis rams is that that's correct, correct. that's correct and uh obviously what i've also learned you know you lose 265 pounds the whole gorging thing goes out the window but you don't have to sacrifice flavor when you go plant-based and so in addition 
addition to being a doctor, you're one heck of a chef in the kitchen. Yeah, thank you. Well, I, I, I'm an accomplished cook. I'm not, I wouldn't consider myself a chef, but thank you. Well, I know in a, a little bit we're going to bring you back. We're going to do an actual recipe. But right now, I wanted to talk about the science behind Thanksgiving. I was doing a little bit of research for this segment, and I found that the average American eats 40 500 calories yeah. on Thanksgiving Day alone. I mean, that's as a doctor, you just have to find that super alarming. Yeah, it is, and in fact, some some research, some some of those numbers go up into the you know 5500 range. Holy cow! And the, you know, the average weight gain just from Thanksgiving alone is two to four pounds. And if you extend that through, that's really the beginning of the whole holiday season, where you know all of a sudden you've got company work parties and Christmas parties and neighborhood parties. And if you look at total weight gain through the course of the holiday season, um, you're, you're talking five to eight pounds on average, mm. um, which is a tremendous uh, caloric, um, you know, excess to, to, to gain that kind of weight. Puts you at a real disadvantage when January 1st rolls around and the gyms go haywire, doesn't it? Right. That's why the gyms are so popular. <laughs> Until February. Yeah, anyway. exactly. Um we're talking about nutrient density here, though, and and nutrient density might help offset some of these issues. Right. Is, is that correct? So, so one of the beauties of a plant-based diet, and you know, when I went plant-based, um, uh, you know, before before I went plant-based, when mm-hmm. I would try to lose, when I'd put on those, you know, five or six pounds over the holidays, and right. I would try to lose weight. Uh, you know, I would cut back on the cookies and cut back on the ice cream and cut back on the candy and try to eat, you know, more fruits and vegetables. And in, in, invariably, I would I would slip back. And we'll, we'll talk a little bit later about why that might be. Um, but but w- when I went to a plant-based diet, I found that I didn't have to worry about what I was eating anymore uh, because I, you know, it became almost calorically self-limiting. Right. Um, and and, and the, the idea is this. When we process foods... When we take an apple, for example, and make apple juice, or we, we take an orange and make orange juice, or we, we take um, olive and we make olive oil, you know, we concentrate the calories, but, but we dilute the nutrition. So, so think about an apple, for example. A small apple, just for simplicity's sake, has maybe, yeah, has 100, yeah, small apple here, mm-hmm. for simplicity's sake, has about 100 calories, has about 25 grams of carbohydrate in it or sugar. Right. And when we eat that apple, our bodies have to do physical work to digest the apple. We, we have to do work to extract the sugar and the phytonutrients. The soluble fiber in the peel here absorbs water. It slows the progression through the upper part of our digestive tract. So, so that process occurs over a period of time. Our sugar levels rise very slowly, and all is good. Right. We take that same apple, and we squeeze out that exact same 100 calories, that exact same 25 grams of sugar. In fact, if you took it to the chemistry lab, and you put it in a calorimeter, the calories are exactly the same. Hmm. You analyze the sugar, exactly the same. But now it's in a glass, not in the apple, and we drink it. In no way, shape, or form are those calories the same. And that sugar is absorbed right out of the upper part of our intestine, lower part of our stomach. Our sugar levels shoot right through the roof. Our insulin levels shoot right through the roof. Two or three hours later, what happens? Our sugar levels are plummeting. We feel hungry again. We want to eat again. And if you think about many of the dishes that are served in a traditional Thanksgiving, uh, you know, th- traditional Thanksgiving, a lot of it has become highly processed. Meat included. Because if you think about it, what's the nutrient density of 100 calories of turkey? What, what do you get back from that? Well, first of all, it's about an ounce. So think about how much space that takes up in your stomach. Not a whole lot. And, and, and how much fiber is in 100 calories of, of turkey? Zero. <laughs> That's because there's not any, right? right? How much vitamin C, how much vitamin E, how, many, how much cancer-fighting phytonutrients? Zero. If we substituted, say, 100 calories of Brussels sprouts or broccoli, what else do we get besides the phytonutrients? We get fiber. We get protein. We get you know, vitamin C, vitamin E. And guess what? 100 calories of broccoli is about 12 ounces. Right. That's a lot of broccoli. Right. So, so, you know, I would, you know, the, the, you say the big football game comes on and you open up a package of Doritos. How hard would it be to eat 1,000 calories before the game's over? Too Not easy. hard at all, right? Yeah, too easy. I would challenge anyone to eat 1,000 calories of blueberries or strawberries or, you know, for in a week. That right? takes a commitment right there. Yeah, right, right. You can't do it. And, and so one of the advantages of when we, as we navigate our way through the holiday season and really focusing on whole food, plant-based sources of, of, of nutrition is because of the nutrient density, it becomes calorically self-limiting in, in and of itself. I mean, you can't eat 5,000 calories worth of quinoa and brown rice and mushrooms and, and, and you know, beans and lentils right. and, you know, on and on and on. You, right. can't, you cannot do it. 
The other thing about the holidays is you find moderation just goes out the window. You think maybe you're doing pretty good moderating. Oh, I'm just going to have this cookie here or this one piece of cheese there. But if you have moderation once or twice a day, every day, that moderation is non-existent. Exactly. And, and so, so, you know, you think about the hol- what the holiday season looks like. You've got the neighborhood Christmas party. You've got the work Christmas party. You've got your significant other's Christmas party. And you go and there's a big spread of food and you're moderating your way, grazing your way around the hors d'oeuvres table thinking, well, I'm, you know, I, I'm not going to eat that. I'm just going to have a little piece, a little piece of that. Mm-hmm. Well, because those, those choices occur really outside of our conscious awareness, they don't even register. Um, and, and so, and if you th- and there's a, there's a, there's a reason for that, um, because most of our food choices, the triggers to start eating, triggers to stop eating, the things we like to eat, the things we don't like to eat, those triggers whether they be emotional or environmental, those are all learned behaviors. Right. And, and again, that's by evolutionary design. If we had to think about, say, say if you had to think about walking, I have to think about walking through the woods. I have to think about contract my quadricep, flex my hip, bend my knee. You would have walked right past the ripe berries and you wouldn't have seen the leopard. Right. <laughs> and, and you wouldn't have lasted very long. So our brains evolved a mechanism when we learn a task, whether it be walking or eating or in the modern world driving, when we, when we learn a task, our subconscious brain will take over that task for us. And so that allows our conscious brain to continue to scan the environment for opportunity and threat. So, for example, a, a, good, a perfect example is, is, is white bread, right? White bread arguably is not good for you. It's highly processed food. There's no nutrient density. If the environmental trigger you've learned to eat white bread is, is, is you walk into the restaurant and, and the waiter puts it on the table, if that's the environmental trigger you've learned to, to trigger the act of eating bread, at that moment in time, you don't have to think about eating the bread. Right. You have to think about not eating the bread. And, um, um, and so, so it, you eat the bread. And the disconnect becomes when... I, you know, you come into my office and say, I don't understand why I'm not losing weight. And yet I said, what did you have for dinner last night? And you say, okay, I, you know, I ordered a quinoa kale salad and on and on. What's not on the list? The four or five pieces of bread you had exactly. waiting for, the, for it to get there. And, th- and that's, the, that, that's what happens when we, go, when, we, when we try to moderate our way through the holidays. We make all these subconscious choices because you've learned the environmental trigger to eat the bacon-wrapped mushroom or the, <laughs> you know, or, or the, the cube of cheese. Is it being present on the table at the party, right? Now, you can't change that. And, and we can do that with our eating habits as well. But it takes a lot of discipline and mindfulness over the course of typically about three to four months where you really got to be all in um, to reset those, those, the, those triggers or those habits. And, and you wouldn't think about, you know, driving on the wrong side of the road in London in moderation because that <laughs> would just not. mean you would have a moderate number of head-on collisions and run over a moderate <laughs> number of pedestrians, right? And, 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 in fact, when we make these unhealthy food choices in moderation, when we, when we eat ice cream in moderation or cheese in moderation or, or, or whatever, or bacon in moderation, every time you do that, you're running over the, line, the, the cells, the lining of your heart. You're running over the cells that line your colon or your breast or prostate, which increases your risk for cancer. Right. So, so now, once you've come out the other side— and, and, you, and you've taught yourself how to drive in London, if you will, and you go to a place and you, and you make the conscious choice. Say you go to a restaurant and they've got the best bread ever made and you choose to have a slice of bread. Absolutely nothing wrong with that. But you're not mindlessly eating four or five pieces of bread, you know, waiting for the main course to come. If you go to a holiday party and, and you know, there's, a, there's an hors d'oeuvre that's absolutely fabulous and you make the conscious choice to have one of those, absolutely nothing wrong with that. But you're not mindlessly grazing through, you know, the next three hours consuming thousands of calories, you know, outside of your awareness. And, and so that's why, you know, that, that's why you, you got to get all in for a while to, 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 so that you relearn these habits and reset the, your brain and, and so that you can make these, these, these decisions become conscious choices as opposed to subconscious choices. So respectfully, I'm going to disagree. I think that once you're all in, you need to stay in. At least that's what worked for me. Okay. So at my heaviest, I was 420 pounds. I mean, that is a serious food addiction. I mean, that that was my problem. Right. So once I eradicate all of that nonsense out of my system, like I am, it's been eight years and I refuse to eat a potato chip, you know, a nacho, anything like, a matter of fact, I call it my one nacho theory because Every failed diet, quote unquote, that I went on before I was, 
yeah. successful long term. I can trace back to one slip up, that one hors d'oeuvre, that right. one piece of bread, and in particular one time one nacho that just completely derailed my progress. And right. so maybe it's different if somebody, you know, is losing 20, 30 pounds right. vanity weight. But if somebody's like super morbidly obese, I right. think that you have another problem there. Right. Well, food addictions are a different issue. Yeah. So that's, that's not, I'm not talking about that. Like you wouldn't, you know, if you're a heroin addict, uh, you know, it's, you can't come out the other end and say, I'm only going to do hair. I'm going to make the conscious choice to do hair. And so exactly. I'm, I'm not talking about food addiction here. Right. Um, the other thing that happened to me, because I ended up losing through my, I went on a plant-based diet about six years ago because I had become unhealthy and I learned nothing about nutrition in medical school. Uh, my doctors who were treating me for some chronic problems didn't talk to me about nutrition. And I happened to see the documentary Forks Over Knives mm -hmm. really serendipitously and, 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 the idea of food as medicine was was a profound one and life-changing. Yeah. Um, and so when I transitioned to a plant-based diet, what I found when I what I found was after that three or four months when I you know when I went all in is that I no longer like if I was presented with a choice of ice cream, it was not in the choice bucket anymore. Yeah. Um, so so that's that's what happened to me. Like if someone if someone put a bowl of ice cream in front of me. And it was the best ice cream in the whole world. That would I'm, I get nauseated thinking about ice cream and what it is and what's in it and what's and it makes me feel bad. So, you know, the other thing that fundamentally happens is is your your whole idea, your relationship to food changes. Um, you know, especially when you start to develop a healthier lifestyle overall, you start exercising, and so you, so you've got other ways to relieve stress. So you're not emotionally eating, and, and on and on. So you know, the ankle bone is connected to the knee bone. Yeah. And, and oftentimes we talk about food separate from the other two legs of what it really means to be in well. We, 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 we separate it from, from exercise. We separate it from our emotional health and sleep. Um, but there's a fundamental connection. I mean, you don't park your car in the garage for a year and put gas in five times a day. No. Even if it's the right kind of gas. Right. right? Uh, you don't put 30 gallons of gas in your car if it only holds 15. And you certainly don't put bad gas in your car and expect it to run right. Got that right. And, 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 if, and if it didn't and you took it to your mechanic and, and he fixed it and, and, and told you what the problem was you don't stop on the way home and do that again right and if your car's in the shop every week or every few weeks for a same problem different problem but all being caused by bad gas and your mechanic told you well you know if you would just put less bad gas in your car you could come back in six months instead of three months yeah, you, you'd probably get a new mechanic, right? You yeah. get a new mechanic. So, we, but we treat our cars better than we do of ourselves, and so, you know, we're talking about food here mainly. But, but, but again, really, it's it's it, there's more to it than that, and, right. and our emotional health is part of that. You know, we, we can't be emotionally well without regular exercise, right? Uh, because our stress response was designed to facilitate us exercise to exercise from an evolutionary standpoint. Because we had to run away from leopards and hunt and gather, and so sure. when we overstress and underexercise, we get anxious and we get we can't sleep at night, um, and we turn to food oftentimes to help alleviate that unmitigated stress. And so, so you know, and and, and again, when we talk about the holiday season. Once you develop those routines around exercise and stress and relief, I mean, it makes it, it makes it much easier to navigate the season itself. I always find it fascinating that you know, in some ways, we're fighting such an uphill battle when it comes to this stuff because we are dealing with hundreds of thousands of years of evolution working against us in some right, regard. That's exactly right. Yeah. yeah, and we, you know, we've really institutionalized it in many ways um, because of our cultural evolution. Which is really what's deep. So our biologic evolution has has set you know our, our needs physiologically, emotionally, behaviorally, um, our metabolism. But it's our cultural evolution which has created the mismatch in the lifestyle that we lead today, which is really the root cause, arguably the root cause of ninety five percent of the problems that walk in my office every day. Right. High blood pressure, diabetes, obesity, stroke, most cancers, depression, anxiety. And so, how do we get in this mess? Well, you know, we've, we've, we've changed our food ways with the advent of the industrial diet, this highly processed food. Because 60% plus of the U.S. population today is either overweight or obese, 66, you know, two-thirds of the U.S. population has either diabetes or prediabetes, 70% yeah. is taking a drug. We've normalized being not well. And so when we look around this, it's more common to see people that look like you than people that are healthy. Absolutely. And, and, and so... You know, we, we've institutionalized the way we teach doctors. We don't teach doctors about nutrition. We want to practice evidence-based medicine. Who creates the evidence? The drug companies in the food industry. So that's what we teach the students. Um, we've institutionalized it 
the way we grow food and the way we, what the foods we subsidize in the U.S. government, the, the influence of the drug and food industry on U.S. dietary policy. And so you're right. This is very, very difficult to unwind because, you know, you've got a healthcare system that's evolved to, to take care of sickness. We call it healthcare, but it's not, <laughs> right? It's sick care. Yes, it is. We, we've got a food industry. So Wendell Berry, the f- philosopher farmer, has a great quote, which I use a lot in my talks. You know, we're taken care, care of by a food industry who doesn't care about our health, and a health industry doesn't care about our food. And, and that really is, I think, the root of the, of the problem of the, modern, of the current healthcare crisis we have. Most of us have no idea how our food's grown, the dirt it's grown in, what we put in the dirt, how we process it after we grow it, why we crave it, what, what it does to our bodies afterwards. You know, we've learned as a society that McDonald's is cheap, McDonald's is, is convenient, McDonald's tastes good, I got to get the kids to soccer practice, so I'm going to just go through McDonald's without, without ever stopping and thinking, what did I just feed myself and my kids? Was it even food? Right. You know, Michael Paul and the food writer would say, no, those are edible food-like substances. And so, you know, it's difficult to unwind, but, you know, it's, but I, and I view that my role now is, is an educator, both for patients, but other physicians. Um, you know, the politician, uh, Daniel Patrick Moynihan, late senator from New York, once said, to paraphrase, we can all have our own opinions, but we can't have our own facts. And, and alternative facts may be popular in the modern political arena, but, 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 but facts are facts and opinions are opinions. And the, and the facts are that when we overeat animal protein and we overeat highly processed foods and we overeat animal fat, we get sick. Yeah. And when we eat primarily plant-based sources of whole food plant-based sources of energy, we get well. And those are facts, and you can't argue those. Um, uh, you can have opinions about it, right? But but those are facts. Yeah. And so, uh, you you hit the nail on the head. I mean, we're about out of time, but I just wanted to share this with you. As far as people having no idea what they're putting in their bodies, and you know, I won't mention his name, but I have a dear friend uh, who was in the hospital for weeks. I mean, nearly died. Uh, his iron levels were exceptionally low even coming home and he proudly posted a picture on facebook he looked atrocious i I love the guy to death but he looked you know like he was still knocking on death's door but he stopped at a fast food restaurant on the way home and got a hamburger and was boasting about it's time to get my iron levels back up and i just start shaking my head it's like even if you don't know about a plant-based lifestyle at some point common sense should kick in right but, you know, the powers of social media, the powers of marketing, um, you know, we've been told that, you know, the new white meat, right? Pork is the new white meat and, and you know, get, get, got protein, you know, with the milk campaigns and on and on and on. So we've been, you know, marketing plays a, a fundamental role in our society, how we craft the, our decisions around what's helpful and what's not. Yeah. And, you know, we could have a whole nother podcast on, on that, but, but, um, <laughs> we will. um, no, you're, I mean, you're, you're, you're right. It's, um, it, it is a sad fact. Well, I want to thank you so much for your time. I know you're a busy man. Uh, Thanksgiving coming up, then you're going to jet off to London. You're running a half marathon. You've got patients upstairs. I yeah. mean, you're you're like a renaissance man. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know about that. I just, you know, again, this is too important. We, we we do not have a sustainable healthcare system from a cost standpoint. We do not have a sustainable food system from an environmental standpoint. And it turns out the answer to both of those problems is the same. Yeah, it, it's it's plant a plant based diet and in decreasing or eliminating the animal sources of, of our food, um, and so somebody's got to talk about this stuff. Yeah, and 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 you know when I moved here, people thought I was crazy. So you'd be thinking about retiring. What are you doing? Moving, starting over in Washington D.C. I said this is just too important an issue. So I thank you for allowing me the opportunity to talk about this because it is so important. Oh, we're gonna have you back on. I mean, we've got fifty shows, uh, fifty two shows a year that we need to bang out. Yeah, there and you're go. right upstairs. <laughs> All right. And I've got your cell phone yeah, number now. Yeah. All right. So uh, stick around. Don't go anywhere. We still have a recipe coming up. You are listening to The Exam Room, brought to you by the Physicians Committee. She buckled her armor where ribbons had been. Where are you going? New York today? Uh, going to New York, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So I actually got a healthy sandwich about 45 minutes ago and ate here. Fantastic. And what was that healthy sandwich? uh, So it was avocado, cucumber, cheese wrap at Pret or something, P-R-E-T. Yeah, so it's all healthy ingredients. 
what would you say if I told you now Amtrak has really kind of made a push toward making sure that there are healthier options on the train, train. even a lot of vegan options? Is that surprising to you at all? No, I. That's actually encouraging. Uh, no, because I, I just got back from Europe, and um, you look at Americans; they're too, they're too big. Our portions are too big. We eat too many processed foods. So no, the idea of healthier is good. What would it take to get you to take the cheese off of that wrap? You're a big cheese fan. No, I probably shouldn't have cheese, so that would be okay. Right? <laughs> take the cheese off the wrap. Yes, that would work. So let's start with the easy question. What's your name, my friend? I'm Thomas. Thomas. Where are you from? I'm from Oslo, Norway. Oh, okay. International yeah. traveler. So yeah. I'm assuming then that this is not your first time traveling. Is that correct? That's correct. Would you be surprised though if I told you that there's actually like a push now to have healthier options on trains and train stations? No, that's not surprising. We do have that in Norway as well. Food trucks having different kinds of uh, options. A lot of, uh, yeah food from all over the world and that, healthy options as well. Is vegan options, is that a thing over in Norway? Yeah, and uh, and I mean uh, ecological food. Have you, have you tried the vegan stuff, the ecological food? Yeah, sure. Well, what's your favorite? Uh, I like uh, falafel, I do quite a lot. There's a small falafel shop right by my office, so. This is the exam room brought to you by the Physicians Committee. With me now is registered dietitian here at the Physicians Committee, Susan Levin. So we've already talked about metabolism at Thanksgiving dinner, but now we're going to talk about over the river, through the woods, to grandmother's house we go, and we're getting there by train. PCRM now launching a campaign called Tasty Train Food. And believe it or not, you would think you go on Amtrak, you hop on these trains, you go to the dining car, and you would think that it's a lot of unhealthy options. But Susan, as we know, they've actually taken a great step forward. Yes, and I'm, I'm really excited about this because, full disclosure, I love train rides and I love <laughs> riding the train. And we're fortunate enough to live in the Northeast Corridor here in the United States. So we get pretty easy access to train rides at short distances too. But yeah, so I've been riding trains for a long time and it never would even have occurred to me not so far long ago to go eat in the train car. I'm usually a stockpiler of snacks on trains. But now, once the Physicians Committee and my fellow dietitians looked into this, we realized that they're doing amazing things on those tiny little train cars, those little portable restaurants. They are meeting the demands of people who want to eat vegan food, but maybe more importantly, people who just want to eat healthfully, especially during these heavy travel seasons around the holidays. I think that that's great, you know, because I remember a time I've been taking the train for, I mean, just decades now. My father lives in New York, so going from D.C. to New York, you know, the Acela's right there, and before the Acela was just was it the Vermonter or something like that? But there, absolutely. I mean, you would go there and it was nothing but chips and just prepackaged sandwiches, whether it be right. a ham sandwich, just whatever it is. But I think that this country overall, uh, despite the rising obesity rates, is continuing to make strides in the health uh, arena. You know, people are just more interested in taking care of themselves. And Amtrak, pardon the uh, pardon the pun here, they're all aboard the health train right now. Exactly. Oh, there's so many puns here, right? <laughs> Choo-choo. Um, absolutely. I do think that Amtrak is, is good at business, believe it or not. And they know to meet a customer's demand when they see it, like any other business out, you know, restaurant, on the ground or in, um, in in airports, we see this this improving environment for healthier food options. So choices for people who want to make these kinds of decisions, either because they want to be healthier, uh, religious preferences, ethical preferences. Um, now we have so many more options, and I'm just so glad to see not just the usual go-to foods for people who follow vegan diets like great veggie burgers and um, you know pasta pasta with marinara sauce those are great go-to's but I'm seeing some variety on trains now that you didn't you don't even see 
on restaurants where they have more facilities and, and more square footage to, to make really fancy meals. Well, let's let's talk about some of the offerings now, because I know that uh, when you guys were putting this report together, you went through and you scrutinized these menus and came up with some really interesting finds. So talk to me about some of, of the lines that have these really yummy, delicious foods on them. Yeah, so right here in the Northeast Corridor, again, we have, um, you can look at the menus online, which is great, so you know what you're getting into before you get on board. But rest assured, no matter what train you're getting on, you're going to find something. But one of the lines um, in these parts, the Silver Meteor Dining Car, has vegetable lasagna with vegan mozzarella like it's hard to find vegan mozzarella just in a grocery store but much less on a tiny cafe car chinese rice noodles and veggies with cashew sauce like i don't even make cashew sauce that's (laughs) that's too hard for me but i'm happy to see that something so uh exotic is located right there on a train car um, and then again, like I said, there's there's always going to be that veggie burger. I, I pointed out um, earlier that one of these trains had not only pasta al dente, like who in that train car is making sure the pasta is al dente? Um, bless his heart, bless her heart. <laughs> but also that they have soy vegan sausage right. available to put on that pasta. It's just, it's amazing, mind blowing. And so excited are we about all of this that uh, we're launching a social media campaign. We're encouraging you if you take the train uh, at any time, just tweet a picture of your food. We want to know what it is that you're eating there. Just use the hashtag tasty train food. Right. Pretty, pretty straightforward. I imagine that we're going to see some pretty, pretty cool things on there. Yeah, because I was not available. We were not available to obviously ride all these trains and and get pictures of all this wonderful food that we're seeing on menus described uh, so beautifully and articulately. But what I would love to see at Tasty Train Food is um, pictures. I want to see pictures of what they're serving. So please, if you're taking these trains over the holidays, take a picture, send it to us. Um, and we're going to compile all that and, and see what's going on. Yeah. Literally see what's going on. <laughs> Just use the hashtag Tasty Train Food. Put it up on Twitter. Put it up on Instagram. Put it up on Snapchat. Wherever you do it, just use the uh, the hashtag. We want to get the word out there that there are these healthy options. Um, and as a matter of fact, uh, the Physicians Committee has actually purchased a little bit of advertising in the Chicago train station. This is pretty cool. Uh, just alerting riders, hey, you know what? Not only are these options available, but B, like we were just talking about, we want to see what it is that you're eating. So very excited about this entire campaign. And hopefully, Susan, this this leads to um, perhaps healthier airline options, you know? That would be wonderful. I think... Um at the risk of taking too much credit, but why not? We have done historically since 2001 uh, airport airport food reviews. And when we started doing that, the food in airports was not so hot. But over the course of more than a decade now, obviously, we have seen airport food just improve phenomenally, um, which was very inspiring to show that these kinds of reports actually do make a difference. And now when you go into an airport, it really is a lot of gourmet eating, a lot of gourmet vegan options, which is so appreciated. Um, So these sort of efforts do work. And I think we're actually starting on a higher level here Mm -hmm. with um, not just train cars, but train stations. Yeah, Um, They are um, even more progressive than the airports, I would argue. So we're starting from a really good place, a really strong foundation. Uh, you know, Los Angeles is actually the best train station, according to our rankings, for uh, healthful vegan options. They have a sweet potato curry quinoa, quinoa rice pot at uh, Pré-a-Manger. I, I don't Pré-a-Manger. Even Pré-a-Manger. Yay, all that French I took in high school is going to pay off right oh, now. Yeah, I took Spanish. Three years of Spanish, so <laughs> you, you, you got me there. I don't know. I think you win. <laughs> and uh, at Union Station here in D.C., I'm going to need you to pronounce this restaurant as well, but I can tell you the dish is zucchini noodle pad thai. Right. I'm going to call that le pain quotidien. We'll go with that. Okay. <laughs> um, good. There's no one in this room to argue. But um, yeah, I, I, so Washington Union Station, that's that's my station here, our, our, our train station. And they have just leaps and bounds. When I, when I go there now, I'm so excited. And even if I'm not hungry, I end up buying something because they have the amazing juice bars and um, now pain quotidien, all these wonderful options. So I know I can go there hungry 
and be okay. Um, but even if you don't have time to stop at one of these wonderful restaurants, we also know that the Amtrak is going to serve serve you as well. Absolutely. And if you want to take a look at the full rankings, we've put them up online. Just go to pcrm.org slash exam room. That uh, is pcrm.org slash exam room. See not only the options that are available on the train, but what is available at your train station. Susan, thank you so much for joining us. Appreciate you taking your time and uh, have a very happy Thanksgiving. You too. Thank you. Tasting time here on the exam room brought to you by the Physicians Committee. Welcoming back to the show, Dr. Jim Loomis. Now, you are a bit of a gourmet guy. Uh, you can whip up some mean dishes in the kitchen. Well, you know, again, I, I really enjoy cooking. Um, it certainly helped me. I had started to cook uh, a number of years ago after I got divorced. I realized I couldn't take my kids, you know, out to eat every night. Right. So I taught myself how to cook, and, and I really enjoyed it. And so when I transitioned to a plant-based diet, it certainly made that journey much easier because I was able to look at a recipe and, and, and kind of veganize it, if you will, um, uh, fairly easily. And, and I think being on a plant-based diet, it really opens up to this kind of world of food that you never even knew imagined. And, and it allows you to really do some interesting things. For example, you know, you got a big football game coming up and you want to make chicken wings, right? Yeah, well, chicken wings, three chi- games. Yeah, yeah, chicken wings aren't on the list, right? So, you know, what can I do to make something that, that is just as good and much healthier that, that tastes like a chicken wing? Well, cauliflower, for example. Um, you know, you can make cauliflower buffalo bites that are absolutely amazing and and the astounding thing is you know you sit down and eat six you know buffalo chicken wings you're talking 700 you know we talked about earlier about four or five thousand calories yeah you know at a thanksgiving meal that might be 750 calories easily you sit down and you eat a cup of these bites you're talking 120 calories total and 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 not only that you know again the nutrient density how much fiber do you get when you eat those chicken wings zebra right exactly and you know you eat the cauliflower and 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 you know you're getting flavor but you're also getting nutrition yeah see but this is this is a special kind of flavor i don't know what kind of sauce you put on these things but it is delicious yeah so i'm i um the ones i made i so i uh, they're chickpea i made a chickpea flour batter with some chickpea a little almond milk and then some herbs and spices, uh, some little garlic powder and cumin and, and um, a little coriander, a um, little onion powder. Um, I coat the chickpeas, put them in the oven for 30 minutes at about 400 degrees. Uh, with about 10 minutes left, I, I whip up a special, uh, use some mango chutney and a little um, um, uh, chopped up habaneros and a little bit of sriracha. And I glaze the the um the the um uh, the buffalo bites and put them back in the oven and voila you know you've got these amazing this amazing dish you you can also just use the traditional kind of frank's hot sauce which is how those are traditionally made um and and just coat them with that um i like the the sugar element in the and the mango caramelizes the the um um the bites and i think just gives it a wonderful flavor so the sauce you use you can you can play with. Um, oftentimes what I'll do is for a dipping sauce, you know, instead of something like ranch dressing, I'll get some cashew yogurt, put a little bit of, uh, say, pomegranate molasses, um, a little mm. bit of sriracha, and a little lemon juice, and use that as a dipping sauce. So so really your imagination can take you wherever you want. And, and you know, you so you, you have the basic recipe of the of the batter and the of, and the and the, the, the wing, the, the cauliflower, and then you can play around with what with, with different sauces different dipping sauces and so it, it really the you know again it, it opens up this whole world of flavor that um you, you didn't even know was out there and you know what i love about these is like they are crowd pleasers and and they're hearty enough to to please the manliest of men who yeah. otherwise would say ah eh, that vegan stuff but right. you know they're going to be down there in their man caves watching this game right. chowing down on these cauliflower wings and you know what's interesting is that that you know you so so when i cook um, I'll tell you a funny story. So I was done. My sister lives in Naples, Florida, and she's a teaching tennis pro. And her husband's a teaching tennis pro. And he's a meat and potatoes guy. And I was down visiting, and they, and they had some friends over and said, well, I'd like for you to cook us dinner. So I said, sure. So I made some jackfruit barbecue tacos nice. with a freshly made jalapeno mango slaw. 
Um, and we get to the end of dinner, and everyone's plates clean. And one of the neighbors says, you know, your sister said you were vegan, you were plant-based, and how come you just pull, served us pulled pork? <laughs> and, and, you know, it, it's when, when you make good food, right, it doesn't matter what it's made out of. Um, and that's when you start to transcend above, when you show people that, that, that you know, this is not rabbit food. It's not eating tofu at every meal. Right. Um, that, that you can make tasty, delicious, healthy, filling food that, that's got flavor and it's not bland and it's not just lettuce leaves. Um, you know, people, they'll start to eat it not because it's vegan, not because it's healthy even, because it tastes good. And, and that's, again, I think we, we have these preconceived notions about what, vegan food tastes like and what it looks like and uh, the amazing thing is so i went plant-based in 2011 and you look at the now today the number of amazing plant-based cookbooks and food bloggers and such it is it is absolutely astounding you know you you google cauliflower buffalo you know bite recipes you're going to get hundreds and hundreds and hundreds yep. you know five or six years ago you would have been lucky you'd had to make one up because <laughs> it didn't exist right yeah, man. But you know what? Uh, we got to let you go here. But we're going to put this recipe up online. But I suspect you're going to leave one or two ingredients <laughs> out, right? You got to keep it your own, right? That's exactly right. Keep, that's exactly right. All right. PCRM.org slash exam room is where you're going to find that recipe. Happy Thanksgiving, Dr. Lewis. Thank you. Happy Thanksgiving to you. And thank you for having me. It's my pleasure. Right. Have you back on sometime. All right. Sounds good. Well, I want to thank you for joining us for today's podcast. And I know that sometimes things can seem a little overwhelming. You've been hearing about how bad foods can really hurt us and how good foods can really help us. And I know you're thinking, I want to make some changes. But let me give you a couple of tips just really quickly. The first is don't feel a need to plan for what I'm going to do 25 years from now. Just focus on the short term. And the reason that's so important is if we're just focusing on today or this week or the next couple weeks, that allows us to really jump in and do it 100%. So keep your headlights on the low beams. We're just going to focus on the short term. We're going to give it our all. We're really going to make big diet changes. We're going to eat the healthiest foods. And then as we enjoy more and more success, then you've got momentum that will carry you over the long term on its own. The second thing is I want to encourage you to forgive yourself a little bit. If you ever goof up, dust yourself off and get right back on. There was never a person with a cigarette habit who quit on the first go. They kind of stutter into it and that's true for people changing eating habits and just about any other kind of bad habit too. So if you ever goofed up, dust yourself off, we're right here with you and we're going to keep going forward. So thanks for joining us. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes, and we'll see you next time. Oh.